Ah, yes, that is the glorious sound of some new theme music here on the Saluki Standards Podcast. This week, it is a game show edition, or an around-the-horn edition of the Saluki Standards Podcast with the Saluki football quarterbacks. I'm your host, Connor Onion, and this week, we'll interview Stone Lebanowitz and Corey Lyles, the Saluki football quarterbacks, but they'll compete. Points will be awarded for their answers. These two want to get into sports media. We'll discuss Saluki football topics, some NBA topics, and it will be competitive and it will be informative. Before we get started, let's meet our contestants. First, quarterback from Madison, Wisconsin, Corey Lyles. My name is Corey Lyles. Uh, play quarterback here. This is my second year at Southern Illinois. Uh, um, currently in a grad program here, professional media, media management. Uh, but really want to go into sports media. Don't know if that's in the journalism or in the broadcast booth yet, but really what kind of interested me with all this is just always been listening to different guys on ESPN, FS1, um, you know, the Colin Cowherds and the Skip Baylesses of the world and everything. I just listen to them and think that's pretty interesting. And our other contestant who will be joining us beachside in his Florida home, Stone Lebanowitz. I mean, I've always been into the sports media and I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that sports rule the world. You're an Eagles fan, and they go on a three-game winning streak. I mean, that's the best month of your life. Um, and there's not a, there's not a lot out there that, that can do that other than sports. I always talk about to buddies and stuff, having jobs and, and you know the stress levels of the job. Just imagine walking into a studio with a coffee in your hand at 8 o'clock, just ready to talk sports with, with your guys and stuff. I, I just – it seems so cool to me, and uh, – it's definitely something I want to pursue when I get out. And, and I study mass communications and minor in electronic sports media. 11 questions, 11 points to dish out. Two worthy contestants and one worthy winner. On the Saluki Standards Podcast Game Show Edition, it's Stone Lebanowitz against Corey Lyles. For people who have seen long-haired Stone, this would be a, a very different look. The buzz cut has come out during the pandemic, and uh, I, I barely recognize you. Yeah, no, it was quarantine. Quarantine beat me, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I got to say, too, for people who can't see, the, the tiki hut that you're in right now, it looks like you kind of belong on, like, the Levitard show or something like that, being down there. Hey, look, this is my Levitard look. I, was, I, I found these right here. But I was going to go Levitard style with these. So you're I'm right Levitard then. <laughs> Seriously, because I'm, I'm sitting right here by the water. No, I'm under my little tiki hut. This is my spot. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, right, let's get moving. Here's the, uh, here's the concept that, that you guys come up with. We had, a, we had a little group message that was, was buzzing a couple of weeks ago. These guys had some great ideas. What we settled on is kind of like an around-the-horn concept. I'll be the cheap version of Tony Reale. Uh, these guys will be the contestants, and we'll go through some topics. Each contestant will have 30 seconds to a minute to answer, and with each topic, we'll uh, – We'll award a winner, and whoever has the most points at the end is today's champion. So, all right, topic number one is the Saluki football win versus SEMO. And uh, first question, the hardest part of preparing for that game during a pandemic, Stone Lebanowitz, you're on the clock. I'd, I'd have to go with the basic answer here. I don't think – I don't want to overthink it or anything, but I think the uncertainty um, – 
I think Mink right now is best being junior college graduates. I mean, you just don't know what's coming. I mean, a lot of times we go to bed in junior college and you don't know where you're going to be in the future. And that was kind of, I had the same kind of feeling, you know, throughout those three months preparing for SEMO. SEMO, we weren't even sure if we were going to play SEMO. So it's tough being out there on a practice field on a Wednesday, at, you know, at 6 a.m., battling fatigue and, and just your mental is going all over the place. And you don't even know who you're preparing for. You know, coaches breaking down film for us and whatnot of teams we think we're going to play. We don't know what we've heard. They have COVID uh, positives and whatnot. So just going to bed at night, not knowing whether we're going to compete on that date that we said we were going to and whatnot. I just think that was tough for a lot of us in the locker room. Just, hey, what are you thinking? You know, what do you think? What do you think? And just hearing a lot of different things. Coach Hill not necessarily knowing what was going to happen because um, he's our leader and he was telling us and whatever he said we went with. And a lot of the times there wasn't anything to go with. Um, so that was tough, honestly, to battle with the just not being certain of what was going to happen in the future. Trey Lyles, you're up. Hardest part of preparing during the pandemic for SEMO. I think it was just uh, – it was the unfortunate thing was keep on stopping and going. Um, you know, we'll go. And, you know, we came in, both me and Stone came in in June to start working on summer workouts and then we stopped and it felt like it felt like there would be three weeks that we'll be going and have really good progression and then just stop and then we'll have another three weeks and then something would happen so just to be this ongoing process that it was just things that we couldn't control and it's things that just aren't unnatural in the preparation process of being a college football player you know when you're a quarterback everything is it's all a mental game and on top of, you know, reading coverages and making sure that you're leading guys in the right way and coming to practice prepared, you also had this kind of thing that was just lingering in your head about this, you know, the pandemic and the certain factors that you didn't have to worry about, you know, in 2019 or 2018, you know, pretty much your whole life playing quarterback. So it's just now, it's not how do you factor that in and how do you still do the things and have the intangibles of, you know, playing the position and also, you know, making sure that we're ready to go against, you know, our, our rival opponent who we've been 0-2 in the last two years. So just little things like that. And it's really just, you know, making sure like, okay, now it's, now we have something that seems like it's pretty concrete. Now, how do we take advantage of it? And, you know, going forward, how do we get a win off of it? I think we're going with the odds on favorite on the first topic, two and a half point favorite Stone Lebanowitz. The point, the, the point, the point about not knowing who you guys would play was it Semo? Was it not going to be Semo? I thought that was the part that pushed it over the top. And I, I, and, and, uh, this is a monarchy too, so there's there's nobody to check me. I'm going with Stone. No, I like it. I like I'm, it. I'm, 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 going with, I'm going with Stone for the first one, the two and a half point favorite heading into this. But, hey, Tony Reale's job's hard too. All right, he don't get no love. <laughs> He gets hated on all the time. You're good. I'll take it. <laughs> I, Let's go. I need, I need the buttons to mute you guys. I know. I, I was ready for some – you to have a little something there, a little ding. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll add those in in the post edit Yeah. <laughs> after we record. Uh, but staying with topic one, Saluki football's win on October 30th against Southeast Missouri State. Uh, the next question is, why did the Salukis end up winning this game? Uh, we'll start with correct. I think the biggest difference that you saw as a team is, and we saw it in our five game win streak last year is the ability to stay together, you know, stay 
within the team and just trust in the process. And I think that, you know, when we would go into certain situations in that game where it would be a sudden change, um, I don't think guys really wavered. And they didn't question whether or not we're going to get through with a win or not. I think that when – because I wasn't here in 2018 or the previous years um, – that, you know, it was, a, it was a struggle here at the program. And I think that when I'm talking to a lot of the guys, that was one of the cases where it wasn't – it didn't feel like it was one big unit. And when things were unfortunate, I think it really took control of the team. So I think that with the situations that happened in SEMO, we, um, we took advantage of every single time that we had a turnover. Um, the two turnovers that we had, if you look back on it, we came back and scored that previous drive. And you look at the last drive when we were all in it, when we were all in that huddle together. And I think that we just had a positive mindset going with that. And we executed, we had a positive play, each one of those plays going in, leading up to Nico's um, game winning kick. So it's just, you know, it's not always going to look pretty, but at the same time, you just know that, that we're all, we're all together and we're all one unit. And really, I think that's what set us over the edge. And I think that w that's what we can carry over, you know, going into this spring season. Stone Lebanowitz, you are on the clock. Why did the Salukis end up beating SEMO? I think for the first time in a few years, we went into a game as the favorite. I, and, and Coach preached on that, you know, last five games of the season. Like, hey, you guys need to start playing. Like, you're supposed to win this game. Like, this is your guys' game. We're the better roster. We're probably the better coaches. And, and this is how you guys need to play. We need to stop going into these games with all this optimism and stuff. Like, we, so we were a 10-point favorite against Simo. Now, now, that's awesome. Now, that's one of our biggest rivals we're going to play all season long. And to tell us we're a 10-point favorite should be all we need because that's what we should be with who we have on the roster and, and how we finished the season off last year. I mean, they shouldn't beat us. And, and I think for the first time – for all 60 minutes, that game was ours. Even going down into halftime, it didn't – I don't think we really even even swayed. I think we knew um, that it was going to be us who won the game and us who lost the game. It was going to have nothing to do with SEMO. And that's kind of – I mean, that's not what it was when, when we were 2-9 and nine and stuff. We were kind of going out onto the field hoping we were going to win games and hoping we were going to play well. But I don't think we think like that anymore. I think we've totally switched our mindset that, that we're going to go out there – and play hard, fly around, make mistakes at full speed. And, and that's something you, you hear a lot. Um, but I think you see that coming, to, coming into it a little bit. I think um, Correa and the receivers and, and the running backs, I don't think we really care about busting certain plays or anything like that. You know, it's, it's really on to the next play. And, and, and that's, like I said, it wasn't how it was years past and everything. But Coach preached it a long time. I loved it. I fell in love with just the, just the concept of playing as the favorite. Go out there. You guys are supposed to win this game. And if that means anything, then go win this game because it's in your guys' control. It's nothing to do with SEMO. It's going to have nothing to do with South Dakota State come February. It's just all on us. And I, and I think we play like that. Um, kind of a chip on our shoulder, and I don't think it's going to get off. So I think, think that's probably it. I was motivated. Can I just say, can I just say one quick thing? It's, 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 this isn't um, – don't, don't count this with it. But <laughs> I just, I just want to say one more thing going into that um, that was big that I want to give credit to Stone is that if you look within each position group, I think everybody supported one another. I think when I look back and when we're going through the whole situation of that game, I mean, Stone, Nick, and Zach would all come back to me and give me, you know, a positive assessment of what happened that drive. And I think you don't really see that with a lot of, like, with a lot of programs, especially 
the ones who have, you know, unfortunate situations that happen to them. You know, I think if you look at all the winning programs, they have that. They have that camaraderie, and it goes into the game. And I think that that was one of the biggest differences with me that I didn't – I really didn't have with when I didn't – without coming here is having that having that chemistry with the guys and having Stone come up to me and then and be like, hey, look, did you see that coverage? Did you see the certain – situation and then now that in the next drive we capitalized on it on the third downs we capitalized I mean we we converted on so many third and longs where I, I really truly feel that last year um you know in the, in the losing stretch that we didn't just because we weren't on the same page but I think that uh, when I would get off the sideline and you know hearing from Stone and Nick and all of them and making sure that I'm seeing the same thing that they're seeing, we will come out the next drive and we would actually execute. So there's something else I wanted to bring in there. That was a, a late Hail Mary to try to steal the point. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are, no, those are, those, those are excellent points that you both made. Um, I'm, I'm edging towards stone on this one because of the 10 point favorite comment. Uh, playing playing as a favorite and that being different from years past, I think that pushed Stone over the edge. I, I, I like the effort on the Hail Mary, correct? <laughs> that was not my – I was just giving credit to No, no, I know. No, that was that was good stuff. I'm, I'm sure fans will appreciate that. But uh, – I hate to I hate to break it to you. The the two and a half point favorite is up two points after two questions. Uh, I hope fans appreciate it, but uh, you still lost that one. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question question three about the Semo game. Uh, we'll start with you, Correy. Uh, what, in your opinion, was the best offensive moment for your unit in that game? Best offensive moment, man. I would say that drive where Javon. Um, he had that big touchdown run. It was after the drive that we had um, another turnover. And really what I think what set us apart that drive that really helped, and I think probably went uh, under the radar a little bit, is who converted that third down catch, and that was Branson Combs. You, you know, Branson is a freshman receiver. You know, Branson didn't really get a ton of first-team reps going into this whole, um, this whole season. And he was one of the guys who actually came down with me in Carbondale um, a couple of times during the summer. And he would make the four hour drive from Indiana and then I would make the seven hour drive from Wisconsin. And we would come down and, you know, Avante and Deontay will come down too. And we would all have a throwing session throughout the summer. And, you know, it's funny because we probably had 20 plus hour sessions in the Carbondale heat and, you know, you're, you're just always, I can, I can tell what Branson is like, when is this going to pay off? When is this going to pay off? And, you know, ironically that in that moment, you know, that's his first snap. It's a third down of 14, I believe. And we run this play as a seven step bang post and it's straight up timing, a rod is straight up timing. And it's his first catch. And boom, I mean, he converts it. It's a low throw. It's in the middle of three guys and he converts the first down. That's his first real live rep, I believe in college and you know he capitalized on it and then going forward after that i think it was two more minutes that i mean two more plays where javon had that big touchdown run but i think it was just seeing that what branson and you know a couple of those guys that you don't really know what they're capable of going into like a live situation seeing him capitalize on that you know really made me that that probably was my favorite play of the whole game 
Stone Labanowitz, you're on the clock. The best offensive moment for the Saluki is in the win against Simo. I love that he brought up that Branson play because I do think it, it kind of uplifted everybody on the sideline and gave us like a fresh, like, you know, slap in the face. You know, oh, let's go. Um, but honestly, thinking about the game and, you know, where it really changed and flipped as far as what kind of plays we made on offense, I think it was that last drive. I don't, I don't know if it was second or third down, but we had a run tag on. And uh, on most of our run plays, of course, I mean, any football team, it's the same, but your inside receivers and outside receivers usually have, you know, backside bubbles or backside hitches. It's all depending on what we see as quarterbacks. So, you know, if we have certain leverage we want and everything, I don't know if it was second or third down, but we're in our own territory and uh, trying to play it safe, but trying to go win a football game at the same time. And Gray decided to not hand it off and he squeezed the bubble out there to Avante Cox. Um, I think it was like second and nine. And it's the moment it was a perfect toss in stride. Avante catches it, makes the dude miss. And as soon as you see that, that he made that dude miss and he was going to go pick up 20-plus yards and put us in plus territory, I think when you watched him cross that 50-yard line, like the whole sideline was like, oh, crap, we're about to go win this game. And I think that was the first moment that everyone was able to just take a sigh of relief, just to, oh, like, we're going to win this game. Like, watch this. Here we go. And it wasn't like that in minus territory. When the minus 45, like, fingers crossed, like, you know, don't make a mistake. Let's be smart. Do something. And he caught that ball in stride and took it. And like I said, when he crossed that 50, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to win this game. Whether we kick it or whether we score it. I mean, I think that play was kind of everyone's like, jump in, giddy, giddy. What's the next play? Everyone's looking at Coach Hill. Even the defensive kids don't know what the, the signals are. You know, they're like, Coach, what are you going to call? What are you going to call? And, and, and Rome, we kept down in it to Rome. We got down there and Nico did the rest but I just I remember that bubble just everyone you know you're kind of grimacing a little bit oh he caught it and he goes it's like there we go we're gonna win this game I just love I mean like I said that's not supposed to happen on that play percentage wise probably throw that ball 20 percent of the time and in the biggest moment of the game he threw that he squeezed it out there and it ended up paying off we won so I love that play that bubble to Avante was pretty cool you both have me feeling like it's October 30th again you put me oh, yeah put me in the moment beautifully that's good stuff um, taking us inside the specific play with Branson Combs, giving a little background on that. I think that's going to push Cray over the edge. Nice. So we got Stone with two, Cray with one. Cray, Cray is on the board after three questions. Yeah, baby. <laughs> All right, moving on to topic two, Saluki football program building. We're going to start with the playoffs last year, a, a, a tough day for the program, having the watch party, not getting into the playoffs. We'll start with, I think it's Stone's turn to start, an argument for why SIU should have been in the 2019 FCS playoffs. I think there's a couple. I wonder how much stock is put into momentum, but come on, we're riding a five-game winning streak. And, and if you turn on the tape to go play the, the team who's inevitably going to win the national championship or is at least going to get there every year, Seven seven at halftime, right? That, that was a ball game. We were in a ball game. They were playing at Suzuki Stadium, and, and, and I know darn sure they didn't think they were going to win that game at times during that game. So to watch us play how we played against North Dakota State on top of a five-game winning streak, I thought, you know, you respect momentum in a sense. And then, two, if you want to get into the teams that go in and everything, you let Furman in. Furman gets stomped by Austin P. You let North Dakota in, which are, which are like questionable ends. You know, is what Twitter was saying and what we're all saying, right? Because their their records and whatnot. We let Furman in, they get stomped. North Dakota goes and they get stomped. And I mean, Craig can attest to this, but we watch a lot of Austin P film. I mean, they're on our film a lot of the time. We see them. Um, 
whether it's their offense or defense, like we kind of get a feel of what we kind of know what team they are. And I mean, that's who we were going to play. I believe, I think that was our matchup. Um, I just thought we were going to get more respect off the momentum. And, and as far as matchup goes, that we would have put up a bigger fight than Furman was going to. And I think you should have been able to see that, but you know, that was unfortunate. And just the, my least favorite part, all of our least favorite part was being on ESPN. They showed the Saluki dogs in a tri box, <laughs> the three bubble teams. And we were the one of the three teams that didn't get in. That, that hurt the worst. Um, and one of the teams who was sitting right there went and got waxed. So, um, that kind of stung a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I just thought we were going to get a little bit more respect, as did a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't a, it's pretty controversial. I mean, going on Twitter and, and some of the talk shows and everything, a lot of people thought we should have been in. <clears throat> yeah, the, the try box was a little cruel, wasn't it? <laughs> it was so cruel. <laughs> uh, Correa Lyles, why should the Salukis have made the playoffs in 2019? Okay, so Stones uh, took my first thing I was going to say is momentum, but it, it's definitely a momentum thing. And I think that it's probably just the age-old um, debate, especially with, you know, you see like the college football playoffs is the SEC and just the strength of conference. And I think just when you ride that out and you just see that we're in the toughest conference in the FCS. And when we get in, when you have a five-game winning streak in the toughest conference, I think it's, I think that should say a lot to you know, push ourselves over the edge and getting into the playoffs. And if you also look at a bunch of our games, who we lost to, I mean, we lost to Illinois State, South Dakota State, Arkansas State, and North Dakota State. Um, all by, and I think it was really a margin of, it was a one-possession game, I think, in each of those games going into, like, the last two minutes, two to three minutes of this game. So, I mean, we're even driving down to North Dakota State and if we hit that touchdown in the fourth and one with Javon, that's 21-14. And if you look at the Illinois State game, I mean, I think it was 17-7 um, going into the, like, in the, in the middle of the fourth quarter. So all of those, um, and then in South Dakota State, I mean, we're winning 10-7 to in the halftime. And yeah. I think it ended up really being a one-possession game leading up to the fourth quarter, too. So if you look at all those games, we were, you know, just one possession short, but – I think that once we started getting our momentum going in, carrying into that five-game win streak, you really just saw that, okay, now we can do this in the toughest conference in the um, in FCS, as well as, I mean, you look at the opponents that we must have, we could have faced, and I think we definitely had an advantage towards them. So I understand that it's like, it's a little bit of, you know, you can only have so many per conference, but at the same time, I think if you didn't look at that, you just looked at who is the best teams going into this. Without a doubt, I thought that we were one of the best teams going into that and going into the playoffs. And I thought that we should have because I, I truly believe we would have had a great run in that playoffs too. And you see that just the change in going from two to nine to seven and five. And also, if you just look at it, I mean, we have, we have guys on that team who have a lot of talent. I mean, Avante Cox is one of the best receivers. And so when you have this, so when you're going into the playoffs, you have Avante Cox, one of the best receivers in the country. You have Jeremy Chen, who's probably going to be one of the best safeties going into NFL, you know, in a couple of years. You have DJ Davis, who's considered one of the best running backs in the country. You have Xavier Furkan, who has one of the best guards in the country. So you have all these guys who are in those kind of races of being the best in their position. It's like you want to see that. This is all entertainment in the end. So I definitely thought that we would be a way more entertaining team going into the playoffs than maybe some of these other opponents. I like that. These are uh, – this is a tough – I think this is our toughest one so far. 
This is uh, I, I think this is the advantage of going first. That's what I'm finding for the sake. Oh my I, I, god! I, I, I think I think for the sake of originality, Stone wins this one. But almost the late come. I, I did like the example with the the race for being the be best positions in the country. That was really good stuff. I agree. So, moral victory there for Craig. Take <laughs> 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 that one. <laughs> if I could give out half points, I would. Uh, we're we're gonna skip down one. Uh, we're talking Saluki football program building, and the score is uh, Stone Labanowitz three, Correa Lyles one in our oh. battle of the quarterbacks. We're gonna Rock skip. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna skip one down the list. You guys didn't come out of high school straight into the Saluki program, but put yourself in the shoes of you guys if you guys were 18 years old right now. Again, if you're a high <laughs> school recruit, why would or why should you want to play for Coach Hill and Saluki football? Ray Lyles, you're up first. Okay, so I definitely think one of the things going into it is youth. I think that he gives, you know, kind of that new age of coaching that you see a lot in football is just, you know, younger coaches having that head coaching job. I think that it gives a certain type of energy and just, you know, it's just a new person. It's a new voice that you're hearing. And, you know, they're kind of learning it the same way that you're learning and you're processing. And I think really one of the biggest things I've been, I've been fortunate to be with a lot of, you know, winning programs and, um, a lot of, you know, successful coaches in my life. And I think the biggest thing that separates a lot of them as far as the head coaching position is, are you willing to leave your um, office door open? And that doesn't mean whatever you're doing at any moment's notice, you know, you have a certain guy, whether he's the starting quarterback or the fourth string tackle coming in and asking for advice or just talking about something. And do you have, do you give that, player an opportunity to go in and talk to you and I think that's the biggest thing that you see with coach Hill is you know he's always sympathetic towards his players he's always having them willing he's always willing to listen and I think that's one of the biggest things you know he has to keep the structure of the program intact and doing that you know one of the things that you have to do is you have to listen to your players and I think he does a great job with that and that's really all you have to do uh, all you want from your head coach is is he willing to listen and is he willing to have a conversation with you because it's all really predicated towards you at the end of the day uh, with your performance and how you prepare, you know, with your success on the field. But off the field, it's like, is your relationship strong with them? And I think that Coach Hill does a good job with, um, with really just having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. You know, every single – after every single um, kind of off-season program or even and after the season, we have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. I mean, we have five of those – per year so you know he has that with 105 got players on his team you know not a lot of not a lot of coaches do that and you know I've been with four programs and I'll say he's one of two who have done that and you see why that we're having the success that we're having and also where you know where I was at previously why they have so much success so it's it's really you see that it's kind of a consistency with that it's just having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Stone Lebanowitz you're a high school recruit why would you sign on to play with Coach Hill? I think he's 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 32, 33 years old, however old is he, he is, and he's original. I mean, he's he's not your basic coach. Um, I think he's just so in tune to the game. Like, he knows who he is. He's so confident. He's got a certain swagger about him. But like I said, he's in tune to the game. Like, he 
he knows just as much pop culture as we do. I mean, what, what do we care about nowadays? Call of Duty, you know, and video games, stuff like that. And he's able to tic-tac with those kinds of things. And, and just compare it to, to going to, like, Georgia Tech and playing for Paul Johnson or even going on a visit or whatever. And it's like, you can't really relate to this dude. So, so you're not going to have that relationship. Like, there's always going to be a gap. There's no gap with Coach Hill. He knows, and he's sitting at midfield watching a practice. He knows probably why Calvin's not practicing that well today. He knows why. He knows exactly why. And I don't think a lot of coaches or programs can, can kind of say the same thing. Um, I just, I just love how he knows us individually so well. Like, and, and I've been, I mean, I've only been to a junior college career. He's been to a few other schools and stuff. So he knows more how it goes as far as coaching staffs and whatnot. But like I said, he's just so close to us individually. I think that uh, it plays a big role in how hard we play for him and whatnot. And I think, he pushes a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same stuff. And I think it's starting to make sense to a lot of us. And I don't think he's swayed, hasn't backed down from anything he said, um, even through 2020. I mean, this, this season's been a mess. And uh, he stayed true. Um, as, as far as a recruit being a young kid, I mean, if you're coming to Southern, you probably got a little twang to you. I mean, a lot of our kids on our team hunt at his house. And I mean, come on, who does that? Like that, not a lot of people you know, have that opportunity to, to hunt with their head coach at a Division One college. That's cool stuff. You know, I mean, he means that. That's not fake. He means that. We went to his house the other day, and and we're golfing. Like he set up a little golf thing. We're whacking golf balls. Um, and this all sounds basic. You see, Saban take his guys out on the lake, but I mean, shoot, you're probably not going to get as close to a coach. Um, and FCS is Coach Hill, and he tells me all the time. It's funny. Um, I'm kind of out there with with what I want to say, and I don't really hold anything back. And it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing, a blessing and a curse. But he told he yelled at me the other day, a couple months ago. I was like, dude, the stuff we talk about, he's talking to me and him, he's like, the stuff we talk about, the stuff you say to me wouldn't fly anywhere else. It would not. He goes, you know that, right? And I'm like, I do know that and stuff. And it's just like, I, I mean, I put so much stock into that. I love that. I can say what I feel like I want to say. And I know it's coming right back at me. No hesitation. And I just think that I can trust him and believe what he's doing because he's just, like I said, he's one of us. Almost he feels like a teammate in all the right sense. Um, we still respect him as a head coach and everything like that, but he's young. He's got flair. He wears Jordans. He thinks he's cool. He's dorky. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, there's just, it's, it's a thin line and, and we all walk on it for all the right reasons. I mean, I love it. I love it. Nick Hill, cool dad. Got it. Cool dad. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he would hate him. That makes him sound old, but yeah, cool dad. <laughs> no, you guys, you guys threw it in there that he's youthful. Both of you guys. Oh yeah. You pointed it, pointed out the youth. I thought it's interesting that Paul Johnson doesn't play Call of Duty. <laughs> you're going first right you're going that, was, first. that was that was shocking <laughs> shocking that paul shocking. johnson doesn't play call of duty um yeah we're 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 going with our whoever goes first bias here i think the open door policy was was uh was one that sold me with Correa's answer so that uh brings it to a one-point game stone with three points Correa with two and uh, we're we're about halfway through looking at a photo finish here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, who is the funniest player on the Saluki football team, and why? I'm we so will go bad. with Stone Lebanowitz first. <laughs> funniest player on the Saluki football team, and why? Stone, you're up. This one's tough, but there, I got I got the two winners. I'll go with two. No, I'll go with one, but I'll give the two. Scott, it's either center Calvin Francis or running back Javon Williams. Dang it. And, 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 and I knew I was going to beat him to the punch, but come on. Those are the two funniest kids I think I've ever met. And it's not necessarily that we laugh at what they're saying. We laugh at them. 
and I, 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 it happens so often. Cal never thinks about what's going to come out of his mouth. It just flies. It just flows. Same thing with Javon. Javon, half the time you don't know what he's talking about. And half the time you think he has no clue what he's talking about. But he's just such, such, so pure, so natural. I mean, God, I don't really know if I can give up some of the stories. Um, but there's just so many good ones. Calvin, I, if people knew Calvin, Calvin would be their favorite player on the team. Any Saluki fans listening, Calvin Francis needs to be your guys' favorite player because he's all of our favorite players. Um, so I'm gonna, instead of Javon, I'll go Calvin because all Calvin does, his job is to play football at Southern and put smiles on people's faces. And that's all he does. I mean, he doesn't care if your coach Meade could be yelling and being serious. Calvin's going to bust a joke and get yelled at. But and he's still going to work out really hard in, in that session. It's just, you know, he just doesn't care. He knows who he is. He knows we love him. But Calvin's got to be top five funniest kids I've ever met. All right. Gray Lyles, funniest player on the team. Sounds like your answer was stolen, but let's see what you can come <laughs> up with. All right. I had a backup. All right. So you ever, like, heard about, like, the whole – thought of you know the guy who's the quietest usually like he might be the guy that you don't want to mess with I think that Anthony Knight might be the fat funniest oh that's a great answer the reason why is because he doesn't really again I mean you guys had a you guys had a feature on him he doesn't really talk that much but when you finally have someone open up to you open up um like how he does with the guys he's closest to I mean, just some of the things that he does. I mean, it might be a phrase. It might be just, you know, one of the th- like going through a hallway and him doing a little gesture, and you're just like, like that's just Ant. That's just Ant right there. And uh, it's definitely just, it's just, it's funny because I feel I feel like he's the funniest guy on the team. It's just because you don't get a lot from him, but what you get from him is gold. So I mean, <laughs> it's just the, one of the be- some of the best moments that I've had at SIU is just whether that's playing Tunk with him, you know, at Z, Z's in his house and some of the comments that he makes and it, they're just they're soft-spoken, just, you know, little catchphrases here and there. And just, you know, he kind of has that Florida accent too and kind of that, you know, saying jit and all that and everything. And, um, you know, he's just – he's just that, – that it just goes, it ties into with him. I think that he's the funniest guy on the team, but – but with going, but definitely, I I definitely think Javon might be just with um, Stone and just our connection with Javon, with him coming over by us in the quarterback room a couple of times during practice and stuff. I mean, some of this stuff is just pure comedy, and it's just like you don't you you never know what you're going to expect from him, but it's just he's just such a unique person that it's it's hilarious. Uh, our favorite. Uh, the quarterback's favorite, and especially me and Correa, our favorite thing about Javon or what he'll do that we love is we'll be in the middle of practice going through drills, and he'll completely botch, like, that that drill or that play or just, like, whatever we're going through, just completely botch it and get yelled at, right, be a little, be a little mad. And then a few plays later, like, me and Correa will botch something, and he'll just, come on, guys, you guys got to get it together, okay? Get locked in, get your head in there, all right? And we're looking at him like, dude, you just did the same exact thing about 10 seconds ago. Why are you yelling at us? And he just does it every day. And he means it. Like, he's not even thinking about how he jacked up. He's, he's got the good intentions. And it's just like, dude, you, you heard what he just said to me. That's what he just said to you 10 seconds ago. Who are you yelling at? And stuff. And it's all funny games, but Javon's hilarious out there on the practice field. I might, I, I, Romir might be in that conversation, too. Romir's a sleeper pick. Romir's got the, a great sense of humor. A great sense oh, of humor. Avante is a sleeper pick, but we really can't go into conversation. The reason why Avante, right, is right, right, right. Uh, 
there, there's a handful of them. I'm not going to lie. There's a handful of them. So, Can we get each of like your Mel Kuyper big boards on the funniest guys on the team? I think we can do that. <laughs> what do we got? Top three or four? <laughs> I mean, my top four, I mean, honestly, my four would have to be Javon, Javon and Romir and I'd say Calvin. I like Calvin. Um, they're in the top top five. And if there's a fifth one, probably Bryce. Just because Bryce is just always – I mean, it's just like if you're in 6 a.m., if we have a oh. work at 6 a.m. and he is able to joke around like that, it's like it's just something different about being able to make someone laugh at like a 6 a.m. practice in four-degree weather. So Yeah, you can, you can hear Bryce Notry out there. Oh, yeah. Every single that's time. My, that's my uh, Mel Kiefer big board. <laughs> I agree. No, I agree. 100%. You agree? You agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I would mix the order around a little bit, but that, those five are definitely the funniest guys on our team, without a doubt. So, I, a doubt. I, as far as who's going to get the point on this one, I can't get this line out of my head. Calvin Francis, if he's not your favorite player, he needs to be your favorite player. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, you should give – I think Stone definitely won that one. <laughs> that's a that's a point for uh, for Stone. That's a uh, that's a keeper line right there. For I love it. No, and I mean line. that that that's very true. I, I swear. I, I it, it stinks that people don't know Cal the way they should because I mean I'm glad we all do. I'm glad that I've met Calvin. Would he be good on here? Should we get him on here? Oh, yeah. He, he, I don't know if he'd be able to handle him. He'd be all over the place. You need a sensor. You need something. He, you wouldn't be able to stop him. I trust him. I mean, yeah, he, he would definitely be entertaining. I, I'd like. I'd like to see Cal do this. I'll definitely right. Same. Same. We'll make that happen. Uh, score. Score update after six rounds. Favorite Stone Lebanowitz, not covering but leading. Not, not covering but leading. Hey, I'll take it. The score is Stone Lebanowitz four, Cray Lyles two. <laughs> All right, similar question, but I guess a little bit more serious of a tone as far as Saluki football. Who is the smartest player on the Saluki football team? We'll start with Correct. Smartest player. This one was tough for me as well. Smartest player. Uh, man, I wish Jacob was still on the team because Jacob is this one. Uh, smartest player. I would have to go with <laughs> – uh, Dan Helbron, I definitely Ooh. think Dan. Dan, um, just because he's, you can obviously tell, I mean, you look at the academic list, he's always in the top five. And um, just really what Dan does is just he understands his role and he does it in a really good job. And, you know, it, it, his role is goes unnoticed sometimes. But, I mean, he knows the exact amount of reps that he needs to get within a practice or within a session um he's always he's always doing something extra he's always doing something but not necessarily doing something extra as far as like showing that to the coaches you know like hey I'm here doing extra but it's like no it's more predicated towards skill and I think that that's the biggest thing is he's always whether it's in the locker room I mean I've seen him in the locker room on Sundays at like 8 8 a.m and he's getting snaps in and or it's it's after the, um, a workout session and he's getting snaps in in the weight room. And it's just really just being that detailed with that. I mean, that position is you have to be smart. You have to be, you have to understand the little details of that because if you're not, and if you don't 
if you don't buy in 100 percent you're you're gonna mess up and it's gonna be really crucial and it's gonna show all over i mean you're gonna be the one that like you know you that's the only time that you go notice is if you make a mistake being a long snapper so i definitely think that you know both on and off the field and this is how he interacts with guys too is just you know i see guys who uh, I'll, i'll consider like having someone with high intelligence are people who understand how to communicate with people who are different backgrounds. And I think that Dan has a personal relationship with everybody on the team, but he doesn't really talk that much. Again, he's one of those guys who you don't, he's really soft spoken, but at the same time, you will have a conversation with Dan when you come here at SIU. So, you know, very appreciative of the film. And I think that he's probably just both on and off the field in the classroom and everything. I think overall he's probably our smartest player. Long snapper, Dan Heilbron, Cray Lyles, says he's the smartest player on the team. Stone Lebanowitz, who's the smartest player on the team in your mind? First off, I mean, I love the point that he brought up as far as, like, putting in extra time not in the sight of the coaches. I think that's something Dan takes very seriously. I mean, I'm on my front porch in Aspen at my apartment, and, and Dan has a pair of shoulder pads and a helmet on in the front courtyard. Yep. It's like, dude, dude, it's Saturday at, like, 5 p.m. What are you doing? Yep. It's getting better. I mean, he doesn't really care that coaches are watching or not. Um, which is a good because a lot of kids, you know, nowadays are, that's what they're all about, you know, wanting to be seen and stuff. But no, Dan does it under the radar because it's all predicated towards himself. It's just about himself in a sense of getting better for the team. But no, that's that's a great point. But I guess my answer would be I'd probably go with the crowd pleaser. But I guess I'd have to go Keenan Agnew. Um, he's so smart and he does things so correctly that it's just annoying. The same kind of same deal with Jeremy Chan. It was the same thing. It was just like. Oh, we're going to get yelled at. Who's the example? Keenan, because he's there doing the right thing every single time. I have classes with him. I get, I get, you know, I started to fall back in class and start to stop listening a little bit. Keenan's right here in front of the camera, just staring, just getting every note he can possibly get. And it's like, ugh, you know, it just, it just makes you feel bad. It makes you want to work harder. And I think that's the effect Keenan has on all of us. Um, he's like, like he said with Dan in the top five, Keenan's always right there, um, pissing everyone off with how smart he is and, and how, how, like, how likable he is and, and stuff. Um, I go Keenan. I have a few classes with him. I know how hard he works. Um, and it's probably not surprising that he's that smart or that he's one of the answers we, we came up with. Um, but I mean, God, his career, whatever he's going to do, it's, it's going to be, um, predicated on, on brain power and everything like that. And he's going to bring it to the max because that's, that's what he always does. But I go Keenan Agnew. Keenan Agnew predicated on brain power. Uh, <laughs> automatic win for bringing up the long snapper for Craig. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Oh, <laughs> so, score update Stone Lebanowitz four, Caray Lyles three. Got a good battle going on. Definitely. All right. Moving on. Who has the weirdest game day superstition or routine? We will start with Stone Lebanowitz. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we necessarily have superstitions or routines, but I guess you could call this a routine. But I'd say our locker room is probably louder than it, it can be and should be. Uh, Chucky Sullivan, one of our defensive end, brings in an, an entire DJ booth set and sets up speakers all around the locker room. And so we get after it when, when we can. And like we mentioned earlier at 6 a.m., but no tree. I'm going to go with Bryce no tree. When that music gets turned on, it don't matter what time it is on Saturday. It could be 11 o'clock when we get there. Everyone's sitting in the lockers, headphones in. Bryce just loses control. He just, he just starts screaming, not English, 
just words, just mumbles coming out everywhere. And he just loses control and he's in the locker room. And it's nobody really cares because it's Bryce. He does it every day. It's just how he is. But he's just completely losing control and flailing all over the place, mumbling the lyrics. It's just you love it. He does it every single game day. It's like you just don't mess with him. Let him just kind of do his thing. He's just flopping and, and just mumbling um, the lyrics at the top of his lungs. Even coach, coach will walk in too. Coach Paul or somebody will walk in and be talking to a tight end. Hey, this is what we're going to do today. You know, get real serious. Bryce is right behind him. Just screaming and just doesn't give a darn. Um, and like I said, that's every Saturday. So I guess that's the routine. I'd go with Bryce. I love it. I love it. I, I just giggle. I got my headphones in and my music going, being normal and just watching him. I guess it gets me a little ready too, but that's his routine. He does it all the time. Bryce No Tree game day flopper. Got it. Game, okay. game day flopper. Game day flopper. Uh, Gray Lyles, who has the weirdest game day routine? I got to go with my uh, former roommate, Jonathan Thompson. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because regardless if it's home or away, you will see there's like that 90 minute stretch where you can go out in like shirt and shorts. And he goes into this corner and he has his headphones on and he's just jamming out kind of like how Bryce is and everything. But I mean, it's like full speed DB individual work. I mean, like literally in his position, getting set, hitting the, like the foam pads on the sidelines and everything. And shirtless. Yeah. Shirtless. He's, he's, you know, he's shirtless tattoos, everything, you know, and just going 100 miles per hour, 90 minutes prior to the game, with just his shirt off and his uh, pants on, like, and his uh, pad, padded pants on, and just going, again, 100%. And it's funny because, again, when you go back into the locker room, you know, you have Bryce going crazy and everything, but JT has his headphones in. So JT has his headphones in, and then you'll go in, and, you know, I'm, like, putting my pads on and everything, and Austin, you just might hear – you just might hear him like start singing the lyrics with his headphones in. So viciously. So you don't know what he's listening to. It's like, I take it to the grave, you know, every day. And it's just like, what? Uh, it's like, it's just quiet. And it's just like, well, okay, well, there's JT. He's, you know, he's getting hyped. But, but, yeah, it's, but you don't know, you don't hear the beat. You don't hear anything. It's just him going, <clears throat> so pretty much. And it's like, oh, well, J- JT's ready. So <laughs> we know that he's hyped and he's ready. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's just all over the place. I mean, it's just, he's talking fast, everything. I mean, it's like he took three Red Bulls and has to listen to whatever, whatever artist he listens to. I mean, he's getting six hours of a workout in pretty much that day because, I mean, he starts from the moment we get off the bus or the moment where last team dinner, team meal is full speed, 100 miles per hour all the time in his headphones. You don't want him to listen to, and he's just mumbling stuff. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty true to him because that's just how he is all the time. But I would say that it's definitely the one that you can see that kind of sets everybody apart as far as their game day rituals. Boys, we got a tie game. Oh, Yes, sir. <laughs> Maybe if you saw Bryce in the locker room, I, it would be I would get this point. Correa uh, Lyles ties it up with his fourth point. Uh, no, both, both. My my takeaway first is that the defensive guys like to stir it up. All the guys you mentioned were on defense: Chucky Sullivan, Bryce Notry, and Jonathan Thompson. And the thing that pushed it over the edge for Correa to win was 
that karaoke broke out in the middle of his answer with <laughs> take it to the grave. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Honorable mention is Javon, though. What Javon does, he listens to, like, classical jazz. He's, like, listens to, like, 70s R&B. And it's just like, hey, man, listen to what I'm listening to right here. And it's like, what are you uh, he's, de- he's definitely the guy who walks around the, the, the locker room and gives you his headphone. Like, yo, check this out every day. It's like, check this out. And you got to just, okay, here we go. <laughs> Uh, that's good that's good those are both really good answers um all right so this is specific to the quarterback room this next question uh you know it was a three-way competition two years ago and you guys put together a new room with Correa transferring in the balance of friendship supporting each other and competing at the same time how do you balance all those things all at once Correa we'll start with you I think it's just really just really getting to know each other. And I think that that's what you've probably been hearing from, you know, Coach Young, Coach Roland, you know, they've reiterated a lot. It's just, it takes time. I mean, it really takes time to build a relationship, especially with, you know, six guys who play this position, who this position, you have a lot of ego to it. I mean, let's just face it. There's only one, there's only one starting quarterback per team, you know, and, you know, you have all these different things that goes into playing quarterback is there's a lot of, feistiness and fire to each person there's a lot of passion to it you know there's a lot of theories of why people choose to play quarterback and everything and you have to have intangibles and I think all six of us have great intangibles so when you get into a you know when you get in a single meeting room like that there's going to be things that are discussed that it's going to get uncomfortable at times because we're just so we have so much self-confidence within one another and we believe that we have what it takes to lead the team and we all still do. And I think that's one of the biggest things too. It's just, I think that, you know, once you find the time to see it, it's like, you know, all of us have something that's such so unique to them. And I think that's what I'm appreciative of. I'm appreciative of seeing how Stone comes to work every single day. I'm appreciative of how he's, how he manages certain situations in practice. You know, I've learned a lot from him with that, you know, I think that he understands, you know, situational football at a really high level. And you look at Nick, you know, he had so much success going into Rochester and, um, you know, winning state championships. So he has a winning pedigree. You look at Zach Dabrowski, his his father has a a high coaching background in college. So, you know, he comes from a – he comes from a coaching background and a coaching family. So he comes in with kind of a professionalism, but also that, you know, that bravado and that, you know – that that confidence that you you have within playing a quarterback and also he played basketball as well so he kind of has that little bit of swaggerness to him too and you look at Jalen who his dad is like in the Detroit Lions ring of honor so I mean yeah you have a success you have a kid who comes from a very successful football family as well where his dad is you know one of the best to ever do it with the Detroit Lions a professional football team so you have all six of these guys you know coming in and coming together and we have all their different stories and it's how can you mesh in the same time? And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I saw was just seeing how we can take and pick each person's um, strengths and kind of go with it, especially with different drills that we do and everything like that. And, you know, communicating with each other and bouncing it off with one another. And you see other guys' strengths and weaknesses. And all in all, I think that's what makes all of us better is, is also having that comp- competition as well. I mean, we're always competing against one another, and I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, you look – we have this thing like a big ball drill. I mean, it's these huge, like, yoga balls. And uh, Brett, um, Brett Johnson and Coach Roland, 
you know, do their due diligence of trying to throw it at our faces and everything. And it's, you're, you're trying to dodge that and everything. And there's, you know, there's competition with that one. There's competition with the uh, two cone drill. There's competition with the five cone drill. We're running up and who can hit the target and everything. But it's all, it's friendly competition. It's us all, you know, bringing each other along and everything. So, you know, whoever's in each, each um, unit, we want to make sure that we're getting better as a team. That's the whole focus of playing the quarterback position is how can we get better so we can win the, t- win the game and win that practice and win that situation. So I don't care. I mean, I'm going to be hyped that when Zach's out there with his guys, I'm going to be hyped when Stone's out there with his guys, <clears throat> with whatever unit's out there. So I think just having that camaraderie and just having that unit, and I think that we have a really, really strong, tight unit. Stone Lebanowitz, the quarterback room, the balance of friendship, being supportive of the other quarterbacks and competing with each other at the same time. How do you manage all of that? I think most importantly, it needs to happen naturally for it to work the right way. And I think it has. Um, not at first, but I mean, that's of course, right? That's what's expected, right? You got the biggest egos on the team, the biggest um, game changers on the team, right? Balls in our hands. So of course, you're going to get some of that, but I mean this when I say this, we've made Coach Rollins' job easier in a sense. Like he hasn't had to deal – he hasn't had to babysit um, for for majority of the time. And I think that's what's the best part about it is because now it's not in his head. He gets to focus on the things that matter the most. You know, uh, no more drama, um, all that kind of stuff. But it actually has happened naturally. I love how he brought up how we pick off of each other and what our special things are. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Um but, like, like uh, last week or a couple of days before we all came home for this break, um, we go over to Coach Rollins' advice and so over. He always cooks us steaks um, every once in a while. And as soon as we walked through the door, it literally – you could have painted – you could have put football signs everywhere. Like, we felt like we were in the meeting room. And we were just hashing out. It started right off the rip. You know, we were watching football, making fun of Big Bird, Coach Rollins, and stuff. Like, it just – it just, like <laughs> – there's just no more animosity. Like, it's just – it's so natural. And like I said, the only way it's going to work is if it's natural. And I think we've got that down to a T. Um, I like Correa for certain reasons. I like Nick for certain reasons. I like Zach for certain reasons. Me and Nick like to play a lot of golf. Coach uh, Roland lives on a part three. Anytime we're driving by, we give him a call. He comes down with his nine iron, and we swing it and play the hole. And it's like, just don't know if that's normal anywhere else. And, and it's normal for the right reasons for us. Um, I do think that we've built – one of the tightest groups, um, position groups we have. And it wasn't like that at the beginning, but we've built that. And us five have built that. It wasn't Coach Rowan. It wasn't Coach Hill holding our hands. We kind of did it ourselves and found out, you know, where the problem was and what it was. And I think now you probably have the most organically built group, honestly, on the team. And I do take a lot of pride in that. I think it's important, especially for your quarterbacks to be that way. I think we're killing it in that department. The relationship I've built with Correa, you know, through thick and thin, you know, we've had our things. But, I mean, that's kind of, like I said, what happens in – and it's just flattened out. It's perfect. It just feels organic. It's natural. Um, and we're taking care of Jalen now, our freshman. We love him. Rag on him all the time. I just, which of course he's going to be the punching bag. I hope he's, I hope he hears this. Um, but that, that won't last much longer. But no, seriously, our group, I mean, I think we're killing it in that department. I seriously do. Did you say Big Bird? Big Bird. <laughs> I was wondering. Big Bird. <laughs> That's your nickname for your quarterbacks coach, Blake Rowland? I'm always calling him Big Bird or Pops or something just to just to and he don't have a response you know he just looks at me just shut up man it's, but it's, I get I get it I get a kick out of it I get a kick out of it uh, that that clinches the win for Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I always know what's up Big Bird always. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm All right. So, st- about that. I'm not even mad about that. Stone, Stone takes the point. Stone Lebanowitz, nice. five. Correa Lyles, four. This will be the last one about Saluki football, and then we'll close with a little bit of a bonus question. Starting with Stone, uh, your argument for why Jeremy Chin, rookie, former Saluki safety, in the NFL right now for the Carolina Panthers, should win defensive rookie of the year. Go. I think I got a winning argument here. I mean, this is the this is this is true to its core. What do we? You mentioned. I mean, as far as like entertainment, and and that's what it's about, correct? I mean, that's the kind of the argument in the NV or the NBA MVP talk. You know, it's like who's the fresh face? Who's who's doing all the flashy stuff? Well, if you're looking for the flashy stuff, if you want touchdowns and flair and big plays and swagger, he's bringing it to us. He just scored twice. Like he is. If you're not that big of a football fan or you're a semi-fan, you're turning on games, like you probably have heard the name Jeremy Chin by now. You definitely ain't heard Isaiah Simmons or any if you're if you're if you're not paying that much of attention. He's just he's just delivering. I mean he delivered for us and he's now he's doing it the, the biggest stage. But like I said, you want the flashy stuff. He's literally giving it to us. There are the highlight taste, the little, you know, the little the little mixed taste with the, the with the wraps behind him. Like he's we're all reposting them on our Twitter and like I don't see it for the other guys. Like he's he's kind of delivering what we all we I don't even know if I want to say we expected it. You know, I think we expected a little glimmer of it. Um, but he's giving a choice. He's scoring touchdowns. He's got the swagger. He's killing the interviews. He's getting talked about by Pat McAfee and Tyron Matthew and all these guys. And I just think he's just like I, I keep using the word delivering, but he is delivering more than any of the other rookies out there. Um, Carolina, that whoever runs the social media account cannot stop posting about him. Uh, it's just every other post. It's Jeremy Chen. It's like, gosh, you guys didn't even show him this much and, and stuff like that or talk about him this much. And, and uh, But, no, he's shining bright. I mean, he's shining bright. I mean, the first one, the first touchdown was given to him, but he went and got that second touchdown. He went and straight up took that ball from him and put it in the end zone. That's, I mean, that's Troy Palomalo stuff. That, you know I mean? Like, that's stuff that not, not uh, many young guys are supposed to be doing. So, I think he's shining bright, and I, I think that's probably why he should win defensive rookie of the year. Jeremy Chin, the entertainment value is high, says Stone Lebanowitz. Cray Lyles, why should Jeremy Chin win Defensive Rookie of the Year? By the way, this is this is to keep the game alive. No, <laughs> keep the game alive. Stone, Stone, Stone can clinch a victory <clears throat> if, so, if you don't look, answer this one well. You look at you look at uh, Chin's skill set. I mean, it's just so unique, right? I mean, he has the size, the speed, and all that athletic ability. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, everybody harped on when he was here is just he was so consistent. He was so smart and so consistent. And I think that's the biggest thing when you look into that and play into being a defensive player of the year. And you look at getting an accolade like that, right, is you, you, do you make the relevant plays, do you make the splash plays, but do you also make the consistent plays to keep the team going, to – get someone in a position to win. And I think that's what you see from Chin every single day. Again, I think their media department does a great job with showing him, but at the same time, he's the one that's doing performance. He's the one that's consistently out there making plays like that. He's the one that's consistently grading out as one of the top defensive players, um, defensive rookies in, in NFL each and every single week. And, you know, one of the things that kind of shocked me a little bit it's just that he he's played every single game I mean this is his first year I mean they talked about it this is his first year where he's played 11 straight games so really just being out there every single week I don't think the other defensive guys can even say that so you have the longevity of it you have the guy who's the most durable you have the guy who's making the most fast plays you have the guy who you know made a historical um uh, this historical you know 
thing where he scored two defensive touchdowns in two consecutive plays. I mean, he's the only person in NFL history to do that. So you do that, he grades out. You see the PFF rankings every single week. He grades out as one of the top safeties, I mean, top defensive players every single week. And, you know, but at the same time, he's still making those consistent plays. And you look at all the guys on his team, you look at the veterans on his team, it's like he gives his all every single day and he comes with the right mindset and attitude. And that's what you want from you want from a player. I would say more so, I think what you, you see when in the game of football, it's not the guys who always make the best plays, but it's always the guys who are always in the right place at the right time. And he's, he does that naturally. I mean, that's natural to him. Like, I mean, that's a given. So for him to do that on top of making these, um, making these plays who now are, you know, going on the internet, going all the way on ESPN and everything, as well as I think this is just the icing on the cake. He's coming from an FCS program. All these other guys he's going against, you know, um, black men, if he went with the Utah, you know, Chase Young, he went to Ohio State and all that. It just goes to show it's what he put out and all the work that he's put in and all he's accomplished. It shows that you can do it from any any level of football. And I think that I think that should kind of play into it as well. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, he, you know, obviously the offensive rookie of the year might be the guy for Illinois State. So, um, so, I mean, you look at these two guys, right? They both come from the Missouri Valley Conference and both are mature consistent with both sides of the ball. So you just look at that and they're making all these plays or leading the league and doing all these different things. I think that, I don't know, I think that just what sets him apart is especially with the fact that, you know, he's durable as well. The conference office has cast their vote for Cray Lyles. <laughs> 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 plugging plugging James Robinson and Jeremy Chin to win NFL <laughs> awards as rookies. That's well done. That was it, it was it was coming down to the wire there late in the comment, but I think that sealed it. Let's go to overtime. Nice. Oh, God. So this is the one. <laughs> Let's go to overtime. After ten questions, Stone Lebanowitz five, Corey Lyles five. Oh yeah. It all comes down to one topic. You guys know it's coming. It could last a while. I feel like you both have written thesis on this already. Uh, I've actually Michael done Jordan. school. I've actually done school projects on this one. Okay, I'm there. You all have. The way. So there's yeah. there's actual like empirical research that's been done <laughs> literally on, on this topic. <laughs> all right, you guys know it's coming. Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Of course, this was a heated topic this summer when the Last Dance was going on. And Michael Jordan was getting hyped up on the ESPN 30 for 30. Let's start with, hmm, who should we start with? How about this? You guys each, you can go back and forth. You each get two chances to answer. You can go back and forth. And since we're in overtime, we'll, we'll make an exception for that. So first, we'll go with Stone. And uh, you have 30 seconds to a minute. Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Who you got? Let's keep it simple. What are we, what's the question? What are we asking? Who's the better basketball player? You know what I mean? Who's the better basketball player? Like who plays the best basketball? Not who's the, who's checked all the boxes and done all that extra stuff. No, who can hoop the best? LeBron plays one through five. That's this. I'm going to start with that. LeBron plays one through five. He can run the point. He can play center. Jordan wouldn't get a rebound if he played the five spot. Like if we're talking about, tools and school is that he's literally a five tool player 
that on top of, this is my second favorite one, and I also think the second strongest one is level of competition. I can't stand watching highlights in the 80s and 90s. They're like black and white highlights. The dudes are just now starting to wear the cool shoes that help them jump and run. And you can't tell me that John Hornacek is going to guard LeBron James. Okay. Stone Lebanowitz coming in strong with the first one. <laughs> Ray Lyles, your answer to – MJ not being able to play one through five. Who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I'm guessing you're siding with Michael Jordan. Well, I, yes, I want to slide. I'm not going to talk about the whole one through five thing because that's irrelevant. I mean, that's irrelevant. The greatest basketball player of all time. When you're thinking about the greatest basketball player of all time is what is the whole purpose of playing basketball is get the ball in the hoop. And he showed at a dominance from a very – from right from his rookie year that he was dominant all the way through for 14 years. Again, you look at it, you look at every single statistical category in scoring, he's, he's the top one. He's top one or two, and it's just pure dominance. And if you're talking about one through five, well, I think it's scoring and defense. And if you look at all the defensive accolades, Jordan has upper edge over LeBron. So you can't say that as far as if you're talking about pure dominance and just takeover within the game as far as that. But – Again, we're going back to what is the whole thing about being an athlete? It's just it's, – it's the entertainment value. I think it's more entertaining to have this guy who has the scoring title every single – almost every single year over 75% of the time that he's played in the NBA. He had, he had the scoring title as well as winning three straight, then retiring, and then winning three straight again. I think that's just entertainment in itself. Who, I, I mean, that, with that, don't end it like that because the answer to that is LeBron. Um, uh, <laughs> you want to you talk about entertainment value, show me another 18-year-old boy in English 4 class who's ready to come dunk on people in his first game and scored over 20 points in his first NBA game. I mean, entertainment value. Jordan made the NBA cool. Why? Because it wasn't cool because nobody was good. He came on the scene and made it cool and made – basketball relevant LeBron was he's literally the chosen one he's, he's we haven't seen a LeBron I, I think we haven't seen a Jordan either but we really haven't seen a LeBron like as far as specimen goes like Jordan was was the icon and everything but he passed the baton off and and, and LeBron lapped him I mean sorry just entertainment value is a tough argument because like I like I said Le, Jordan made basketball cool nice what does that mean that it wasn't cool LeBron was able to come into the league as an 18 year old kid which only Kobe was able to do and, and it's like, put that in perspective. He's in English four class. Like, he is still learning how to put together, like, sentences and predicates and whatever that stuff. And he's playing basketball in the NBA. Nobody's been able to do that. Nobody will ever do that. He's old. He's played longer than anybody. You want to talk about him being first or second in statistics. Who's the first? LeBron. LeBron has bypassed all, all of Jordan's statistics. And he's, it's, it's going to get uglier because he's, he's got probably six yeah. more seasons left. I just, I just think longer. it's dominant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me go about his longevity. He, does, he is playing longer. Why? Because Jordan couldn't. Everything got to Jordan. Like I said, he was the first one to really do it. LeBron hasn't swayed anywhere. He hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, I'm, I don't want to go for the cheap, lame, gambling, and all that kind of stuff, but LeBron literally hasn't done anything wrong. He's opened up a school of social justice. It's just like, like I said, he passed LeBron off the baton, and it's been over ever since. I think it's just tough to argue. I just don't know. I just don't know. You can be the greatest of your sport at the highest level of, you know, being an NBA finals and the second best player in the league beat you two straight years. And both of those years 
have a highlight of you him draining a three pull up during the crucial minutes of each game that pretty much solidified. I think that talks to the level of competition that there is nowadays. Jordan on a bad I mean, night was still the best player in the league. LeBron on a bad night is the worst player on the court because of so many dudes can play ball now. I don't think you can show – I don't think you can say that it's the level of competition because I think the only thing that really tra- – that changed was kind of just part of the strength training in basketball. But at the same time, it's not – Okay. You're just talking about dominance within the era. But then Jordan had strength training going into the, in the 1998 season and, and later on in his years. So they had that. There was evolution of basketball and just weightlifting in general. I mean, you, you say that, and, I mean, I know that people like to correlate the whole, you know, the greatest of all time in NFL and greatest of all time in, um, in NBA. And, you know, you look at Tom Brady, it's the reason why they say it's Tom Brady and not someone like a, you know, and Aaron Rodgers or someone like that is, is it pure dominance getting your team to the highest level and winning at that stage? And I think that if LeBron James was the greatest of all time, there shouldn't be really any excuses because like you said, you said he can play one through five on the court and he's the most dominant physical specimen in mm. NBA history. I guess this would be my, my, my last jab I'll throw, but like, I, I guess this is a serious question, like serious point. If Jordan goes out on a Wednesday night and they're playing whoever, and Jordan's playing, plays, has a bad first half, a terrible first half, the Bulls are still in that game. They can still win that game. He just has to, you know, adjust and come back and play better. Now, if LeBron James, against anybody in today's league, has a terrible first half, they will get smoked by 30. Like, it's just like it just talks to – we talk about valuable – because it's just a higher competition, like there's better players in the league. Like, just think, like, if we're talking about – most valuable player. I love that most valuable thing. Like, you, are you kidding me? Like, if well, you, you take if you take LeBron it. James off of that Cleveland team, they don't win any games. You take Jordan off of that that I don't know what year it was team, they won one less game and stuff like that. That you take a LeBron off any team, they don't go to the playoffs. The, the Lakers, he stopped midway through the season, won them like 22 games, and then bailed out, and they didn't even make the playoffs. You needed to win like 20 more games than like 60. So it's like, how can you even talk value? if literally the team can't compete without one player. Like how, how okay. when you have the other Hall of Famers sitting next to you and they take you all the just, like, She's so much more valuable than Michael Jordan to any team. Well, been on. So it's funny you said that, but I remember when in one of our, one of our final um, quarterback meetings, I asked you this, and don't sway on me now, but I asked you, one game, who are you picking? Oh, I said Michael Jordan. Exactly. So that that just that's it, just sixty minutes. That's just sixty. That's just. If you put money, I, don't, you, don't take that, Connor. That is that's cheating. He's cheating with that. That's not even fair at all. Listen, here's why. Okay, no. No, no, don't, just, don't just do that to me. Here's why. Because if sixty minutes, you need a killer. If sixty minutes, you need to go score points. It's just one game. Yeah, you just go trust the killer for exactly. one game. He's gonna get it You're done. But he won't. Basketball. What season is one game? What season is one game? He plays oh all the time, God. all season. Game seven. You basically you can go game seven. You gotta get you gotta get to a game seven. LeBron's gonna who's I mean the game seven no. statistics are speak for themselves. LeBron James is the best game seven basketball player of all time. Yeah, I can't believe you went there. I can't believe you but went so, there. That is the Hail so, Mary you're, talk. You're, so you're saying hold on, hold on. You so you're saying you're putting your livelihood on the line. Boom. You are putting your livelihood on, on all the money in the world and you're putting that on one, that one game. You just said, Jordan, how are you going to do that when you're saying the other guys are greatest of all time? 
You're advocating for one guy. Because games but, in a season. A series is seven games long. You have seven games in a series, and you have 82 games in a season. I'm talking about one. I'm talking about one. That's strong for LeBron. But then if it's just in this pure situation of playing basketball, the game of basketball, one game, playing the game of basketball, and you don't pick your boy – I yeah, I think that's smart. I'm a, that's just a business which decision. Crazy, that's which is crazy, which is crazy, because if you look at a season, if you look at a season, Jordan has played more 82 game seasons. So it's like even the, the whole season thing doesn't is is my my end too. Now, if we're talking about hey, you know what? Who are you picking to go 20 years of playing basketball? It's not going to be Jordan. Is it going to be? And that's and how can you say that and then side with Tom Brady? That's like the the Tom Brady or Tom Brady and Jordan don't go together. Is that your argument? Because like it's, it is about the longevity. Like Aaron Rodgers is probably a better quarterback in an aspect of arm talent, mobility, being able to like extend plays and everything. Well, but that's the same thing as I think being a five tool player in basketball. Like the question is, who's the best player? Not like the best athlete or best basketball athlete or best football athlete because sure the best football athlete is Tom Brady the best basketball athlete is Michael Jordan but the best quarterback and basketball player is uh Aaron Rodgers and uh LeBron James. You just made my point <laughs> you just made my point it's not about the best athlete it's about the best basketball player you just made yeah my and point. and if you're talking about it's basketball it's point guard it's shooting guard it's power it's freaking center he can play all five spots Jordan is the best oh. at basketball to ever putting it. No, he's not. He's the, no, he's not. If this is oh how we're going to do this, we no, he's not. We're done. No, he's not. It's not a good argument, so we're done, I guess, because I can't come at you with No, he's not. Nuh-uh. <laughs> Time. <laughs> Time. I, I could have cut that off like five minutes ago. That was yeah. – uh, that was that was better than uh, the Mike Tyson exhibition over the weekend. That was, <laughs> yeah, it was. That, that was. that was a lot better. Um, Oh, there's a there's a lot to unpack for me to judge that one. There's a lot to unpack there, and here's here's where my bias comes into play. Being from Chicago, before you roll your eyes, hear me. I, I mean, I'm just I'm just letting you know there's some bias there. Being from Chicago, that is a setup. I from Chicago. I didn't make I didn't make my decision yet. I, I okay, 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 okay. I didn't make my decision yet. I didn't make my decision yet. Throwing the jab at Jeff Hornacek hurt too. <laughs> <laughs> who is he guarding? Like, who are you putting him on if he's Dame, Damian Lillard will spin him silly? Like, it's just, I can't believe it. We don't even have a Jeff Hornacek in the league anymore. It's like Della Nova. He's like, we don't even have one of those guys playing basketball, but sorry. Jeff, Jeff Hornacek, a proud graduate of Lions Township High School, my alma mater. <laughs> uh, and and that, was a, that was a dagger to my heart that you went after him. <laughs> Um, but, but the, the one game versus 82 thing and the one through five thing was intriguing to me. And I think true. If you're talking about a time period where you're talking about the greatest of all time, then it's about the longer scope rather than just the one game. So I'm with Ah. you. I'm, I'm with you there, Stone. But I'm still conflicted because of the Chicago thing. I, I don't know. I don't know the, oh, the, man. the, the loyalty. I'm, I'm not picking LeBron or MJ, but I'm picking Stone's argument.
<laughs> yeah, I was a little nervous. I had you had me a little nervous there. I didn't. Hey, I didn't think out of eleven questions, a two and a half point spread was 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 fair to me. But uh, I'll take the win any way I can get it. I did get nervous when it was five five because a lot of the guys don't want to side with LeBron. And you didn't side with LeBron. You sided with the arguments. He did the right thing. But I squeaked out of there. He, he, I, he, I squeaked out of there. I'm fine. I'll do my little victory lap in silence. I don't got, I don't got a, I don't got no gloating here. That was awesome. I loved what we just did. Honestly, we killed it. You're one and zero. The people who had uh, their pennies on Correa are also one and zero because he covered. <laughs> so it's just not an uncut gems moment where... <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh well guys thanks for doing this this was fun it uh i'm not surprised it went this long by the way <laughs> absolutely this is literally a first big show right here boom <laughs> we just covered that i appreciate it connor no it was super cool yeah right, let's, awesome. let's do it again at some point absolutely